we know it is still possible to make the 1.5 degree limit a reality. It requires tearing out the poisoned root of the climate crisis, fossil fuels. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 22nd of November. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in the episode, I'll be looking at what a new report on emissions by the United Nations says about our global green transition efforts. First though, let's take a look at the stories making headlines around the world. The United States is offering up to $2 billion in grants to help disadvantaged communities combat climate change and air pollution. The Environmental Protection Agency hopes to fund around 170 projects that focus on building climate resilience, installing clean energy sources, reducing indoor pollution and monitoring emissions. Applications will be reviewed over the course of the next year. The European Parliament has voted in favour of a Net Zero Industry Act and added nuclear power to a list of critical technologies that should receive policy support. Lawmakers also backed a new law that creates a framework for verifying carbon removals, as well as new engine standards for heavy-duty vehicles. All three draft laws will now be negotiated by the Parliament, European Commission and national governments. MEPs have actually stoked a bit of controversy with the heavy-duty vehicles vote, which introduced a class of trucks that run exclusively on e-fuels and biofuels. Critics warn that if passed into law, that requirement would divert scarce supplies of those fuels away from sectors that need them more. For more on this issue, check out the latest edition of the magazine, link in the show notes. Brazil has recorded its hottest ever temperature, 44.8 degrees Celsius. South American nation is enduring a stifling heat wave that scientists say has been triggered by climate change and the ongoing El Nino weather event. Previous record of 44.7 was set in 2005. Brazil's energy consumption has also soared to a record high as air conditioners work overtime to cool households and businesses. Taylor Swift even had to cancel one of her concerts in Rio de Janeiro after a fan died before one of her shows on Friday. If you're listening, Taylor, maybe tell your legions of fans that they should try and do something about this whole climate breakdown thing. They listen to whatever you say, so I think it would really help. Chinese battery maker Cattle and car firm Stellantis are in talks to build a European battery plant as Fiat's parent company looks for ways to bring down the costs of electric cars. Cattle is a pioneer of lithium-ion phosphate batteries, which are cheaper to make but less energy-dense, and are an alternative to the more expensive nickel-manganese-cobalt power packs. If the deal goes through, it would make the car maker more dependent on Chinese technology. Swedish battery maker Northvolt, meanwhile, hopes to break that China dependence by commercialising sodium-ion batteries, which contain no critical minerals like lithium or nickel. The firm says ongoing testing has yielded a sodium-ion battery that has a similar energy density to lithium-ion equivalents. Northvolt aims to roll out the technology in the storage sector rather than e-mobility, which requires a higher density than is currently possible for sodium. Northvolt claims that the batteries could eventually be a quarter of the price of lithium alternatives. Nigerian and German companies have signed up to a renewable energy pact worth half a billion dollars 
and a gas export agreement. Under a new partnership with the DWS Group, an asset management firm, Nigeria will be helped to access millions of dollars in investment, mostly targeted at bringing clean energy to rural communities. The gas export deal will kick in in 2026, and will see Nigeria export 850,000 tonnes of fuel to Germany every year. Those exports will help process an estimated 50 million cubic feet of gas every day that would otherwise have just been flared and wasted. Major European countries should phase down their energy support measures as soon as possible, according to a new European Commission budgets report published yesterday. France and Germany in particular have cut taxes on electricity and domestic gas supplies, while other countries like Portugal and Croatia have also deployed what were supposed to be temporary measures. The EU executive branch's report says that many of those policies risk undermining energy price signals and could jeopardise energy efficiency schemes. EU is in the process of reforming its fiscal rules, which govern what kind of deficits countries can run. COVID-19, the fossil fuel price crisis, and Russia's war on Ukraine have all triggered temporary relaxations to those rules, but hawkish nations now want what they claim is a free ride to draw to a close. The United Kingdom and Korea will sign a clean energy partnership today. The pact is aimed at boosting collaboration on low-carbon technologies, civil nuclear power, and climate policies. In particular, the agreement will see each side share know-how on small-scale nuclear power, offshore wind, and hydrogen. UK companies have won a significant number of offshore engineering contracts, according to the government, as part of Korea's bid to install nearly 15 gigawatts by 2030. Danish shipper Maersk has signed a green methanol agreement that it hopes will help it reach its 2040 net zero target. Under the deal with Chinese firm Goldwind, Maersk will take delivery of 500,000 tonnes of green fuel every year, which is about five times the current global production. That will be enough to power 12 next-gen ships that Maersk has on order, with the first large ocean-going vessel due in the water next year. The methanol will be produced in China using wind power, and the first deliveries are expected in 2026. And Japanese industrial giant Hitachi has unveiled a hydrogen-powered generator unit. The high-flex demonstrator is designed for applications where there is no grid connection, and diesel generators are impractical or undesired. The firm says construction sites, remote venues, hospitals and data centres could all benefit from the tech. Ports and city centres that are subject to clean air laws could also use the generators as it is totally emission-free at the use point. Hitachi hopes to start selling a movable version of the generator next year and to roll out a permanent version in 2025. That's it for today's news updates. Now let's take a closer look at the story of the moment. The science is very clear on climate change, and it's also becoming clearer by the day about what causes it. Emissions produced by the combustion of fossil fuels are the problem, and the solution is quite simple. Stop burning oil, coal and gas. A new report published this week by the United Nations spells out in clear terms what humanity's failure to grasp that concept could mean for the planet. It does not look good at all. The UN Environment Programme report reveals that current policies mean we are heading for three degrees. Here's how UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres summed up the challenge we are facing. 
renewables have never been cheaper or more accessible. We know it is still possible to make the 1.5 degree limit a reality. And we know how to get there. We have roadmaps from the International Energy Agency and the IPCC. It requires tearing out the poisoned root of the climate crisis, fossil fuels. And it demands a just, equitable renewables transition. Leaders must drastically up their game now with record ambition, record action and record emissions reductions. Global emissions need to be cut by nearly 9% each and every year up until 2030 if the 1.5 degrees target is to stay in play. 2 degrees requires 5.3% each year. In 2020, when the global economy, travel and industrial production ground to a halt thanks to Covid, we reduced emissions by just 4.7%. That's the scale of the challenge ahead, and one which this new report hopes to shed as much light on as possible. I spoke with Greg Mutet, a senior associate at the International Institute for Sustainable Development, and also one of the report's lead authors, about these new findings. There's been a bit of a tone shift lately, I guess we could call that, where leaders have been more willing to confront the elephant in the room, that the climate crisis is happening because we burn fossil fuels. Um, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, for example, has been very forthright in that regard. Does this report reflect that shift as well? I, d- I think that's in some ways a, a shift in the in the climate debate over the last two, three, possibly four years has been this greater focus on fossil fuels. Um, in, in a way, it's it's less surprising that we're talking so much about fossil fuels now. It's more surprising that we weren't earlier. So um, about 86% of carbon dioxide emissions come from burning oil, gas and coal. So fossil fuels are by far the largest cause of of climate change. What's really changed lately is at COP26 in Glasgow, for the first time, fossil fuels appeared in a decision text of climate negotiations. Again, surprising that it took uh, 26 meetings, 26 years to to get there. And then at COP27 last year in in Egypt, there was a very strong push from a number of governments to broaden this to a phase out of all fossil fuels. Um, and in, in the end, that, that didn't get agreed. It didn't get into the decision text. But that, that's going to be a key thing going into the uh, COP28 this year in, in Dubai is the, the phase out of all fossil fuels as, as a key part of the policy agenda. And so we, we've seen the policy debate moving in this way over, over the last couple of years. But also we've, we've been having a lot more scientific study of, of, the, uh, of the need to phase out fossil fuels. So we've, we've seen that, for instance, in, in the International Energy Agency's report on a, a roadmap to net zero. Uh, we, we've seen it in the sixth assessment report of, of the IPCC. And we've seen it in the production gap report, which is a, a sister report published by UNEP, a sister report to the to the emissions gap report. And so, in the in the emissions gap report this year, we we have as as always a, an overview of of where we are in progress towards meeting the goals, and and a particularly a worrying gap, a, a huge gap. The this. UN Secretary General yesterday called it an emissions canyon that, that has to be closed. We have massive urgency. And, and with that, what one of the things we looked at in, in the ch- a chapter that I co-led is what, what you could call the core of the climate change change problem or a core of the of the climate change problem, which is how we use energy. I think the, the climate change problem is relatively simple. It's a it's a problem that we have too much fossil fuels. And and so y- yesterday the um the executive 
director of, of the UN Environment Programme, what the way she put it was, was she said, we go, governments can't keep making great climate promises and then green lighting huge fossil fuel projects. This is a it's a it's a disconnect in the in the political conversation. And and that's the context in in which this year's emissions gap report is entitled Broken Records. Of course, in one sense, all of the all of the climate records are being broken. We've had 86 days this year where global average warming was was above 1.5 degrees. Records are being broken in in that sense. But at, at the same time, we, we have governments behaving like a broken record, making these promises, but then continuing with fossil fuels. The report is a comprehensive analysis of where we currently stand, and I wholeheartedly recommend that those of you listening read as much of it as possible. It's far too detailed to pick apart in the time we have, but one aspect that jumped out at me is quite worth a look. Countries generally do not report the emissions generated by their militaries, despite the millions of barrels of oil needed to power tanks, planes and other war machines. The US Army actually emits more than entire countries, including Sweden, Morocco and New Zealand. This UN report, for the first time, acknowledges this omission. Hannah Homestead from the Centre for International Policy breaks down why this is significant. The new UN emissions gap report acknowledges for the first time the military emissions gap. And so while this is only one sentence in a 108-page report, it's really critical. It mentions that military emissions are not insignificant and are not accurately being counted towards a country's total emissions production. This is really important because, as we know, military operations are extremely carbon intensive and they're currently exempt from any real meaningful tracking and reporting requirements. This is because reporting on military emissions uh, at the request of the United States were left out of the 1997 Kyoto Protocol and then the 2015 Paris Agreement made them um, not a mandatory re uh, reporting requirement there. So with military emissions, the devil is really in the details around counting those. The way that the United States government and others track emissions is by scope. Scope one are direct greenhouse gas emissions, and those are from sources that are owned or controlled by the military. Scope two are indirect greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and scope three, are indirect greenhouse gas emissions from other sources and activities. The Conflict and Environment Observatory has proposed actually adding a third scope, scope three plus emissions, to the way that military emissions are counted, which would include the impact of warfighting activities, which would be a really critical next step. But first and foremost is really just understanding, understanding scope three emissions better when it comes to the military, because this would include the supply chain of how U.S. contractors and other kinds of, of organizations, the emissions that they create and count those within this scope of U.S. military emissions. This is something that's currently, there's very, very, there's no data officially being recorded on, and it's actually currently playing out right now in Congress, the fight over this where we have our National Defense Authorization Act being currently debated. And this is the main policy vehicle in which U.S. defense policy is, is created. Right now in Congress, there are amendments to actually block the reporting of contractor emissions. In 2021, President Biden issued an executive order, which was a whole-of-government approach in terms of trying to reduce federal the federal government's emissions and transition the U.S. government towards net zero. As part of that, the Department of Defense has actually sought out 
uh, ways to better track the emissions that are created from the companies that it contracts with. And this is a really big deal because contractors play a huge role in the Department of Defense. Nearly half of the Department of Defense budget often goes to federal contractors. Um, and it's it's been reported in the past that, for, for example, Lockheed Martin has received more funding through contracts with the federal government than even the USAID budget or the State Department budget. You know, we have these domestic barriers in terms of trying to account for greenhouse gas emissions in our military here in the United States that really do have a huge impact on the planet when we look at the scale and scope of United States military emissions, which are truly massive. Even the widest canyons then can be bridged if enough planning, preparation and investment is made available. The UN has spelled out the scale of the problem, now it's up to governments to respond. COP28, which starts next week, is the ideal forum in which to discuss and decide how. Thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. I'll be back on Friday with another edition. In the meantime, check out the latest Foresight magazine. There's a link to the digital copy in the show notes. The next episode of What Matters will also be publishing soon, so keep your eyes peeled for that. The Jolt is free to air, so please do share the episodes with friends and colleagues if you enjoy listening. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the Jolt.